Blog Talk Radio. Oh, 
thank you for listening to Victoria and try and get all I'll do now is I'll play a song for you and then we'll get the lesson ready. Thank you for listening to Victoria. I have a Bible that I read. I know the truth and I believe. I go to church with my friends. I have a joy that never ends. Not because of anything I've done. There's a reason. It's the only sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never contacted Grace to You, we want to send you a free book by John called None Other, Discovering the God of the Bible. 
This detailed look at God's character can strengthen your trust in the Lord and deepen your love for Him. Request your free book by writing to noneother at gty.org. That's noneother at gty.org. The offer is good in North America and Europe through December 2018. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here's grace to you, Bible teacher John MacArthur. As we link together tonight our time of thanksgiving with the Lord's table, we will connect our thanksgiving to the sacrifice of Christ. The Old Testament is full of praise, particularly the Psalms, but the New Testament is also full of praise. It's not located in one place as in the Old Testament book of Psalms. There is no New Testament Psalter, but doxologies are spread throughout the New Testament in critical places and places that are instructive for our worship. I want to just look at a few of them for you to consider tonight as we offer our thanks to God for the gift of Jesus Christ. Open your Bible to Galatians chapter 1, and the first of these New Testament doxologies, these New Testament calls to praise, is found in verses 3, 4, and 5. Galatians chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, who gave Himself for our sins. The great truth of substitutionary atonement, the sacrifice of Christ as an atonement for the people of God. And by that sacrifice comes the forgiveness of sin and rescue from this present evil age. What is the proper response to such a reality? It is doxology, and that is verse 5. Speaking of God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. This is how, in particular, Pauline doxologies occur in the New Testament. They aren't gathered into one place or another. They're spread throughout the writings of the Apostle, and they appear in almost spontaneous form just after some great declaration related to our salvation. We have received grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the sacrifice for our sins. He rescued us from this present evil age. All of this according to the will of our God and Father, and our response can only be to give Him glory forevermore. Amen. So let it be. We have been delivered. We will not perish with this passing world. We have been rescued. We have been forgiven. Our sins have been paid for. The response is to glorify the one who has given us such an unspeakable gift. 
At the end of Paul's letter to the Romans, if you will, turn to the 16th chapter. Paul, of course, in the book of Romans has gone to the very heights of salvation doctrine. He has swept through that doctrine and finally comes to a final chapter, some personal notes, talks about the people who have helped him. But he brings it all to a final conclusion in verses 25 and following. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. And what he's talking about is the New Testament revelation of the gospel, the full understanding of the gospel, which was mystery in the Old Testament, kept secret. But now, since Christ has come, is manifested, and now the Scriptures of the prophets have meaning as they are being fulfilled according to the commandment of the eternal God, and the gospel is being made known to all the nations leading to the obedience of faith. Faith is an act of obedience to the will of God. Paul realizes that the gospel has established us, verse 25. Not only do we have forgiveness of sins, not only have we been rescued from this world, this present evil age, but we have been established by the gospel, by the preaching of Jesus, by the, the mystery of the full revelation of the gospel, the fulfillment of the writings of the prophets. We have been given the truth. We stand on the truth. God has worked this truth in us so that our lives are firm and settled and fixed and confirmed and confident and immovable and solid on the truth. What a blessing this is to be not only mentally stable, mentally settled on truth, but to be spiritually settled on truth as well. Without the gospel, without the words of Jesus, without the New Testament, we would never be settled. We would always be waiting, as Old Testament saints were, for that mysterious reality to appear, the Messiah and His redemptive work. But He did appear, and because of that, and because of our faith in Him, we are settled. What is our response? And here again, another doxology, verse 27, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. Again, a, an almost spontaneous outburst of thankfulness. Not just for forgiveness, but for spiritual stability, standing firmly on the truth. In writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, we find another of these kinds of outbursts of praise. As Paul thinks of his own life, he says it is a trustworthy statement, 1 Timothy 1.15, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. Eternal life is what's in Paul's mind here. Not only have we been given forgiveness, not only have we been given atonement through the death of Christ, not only have we been given mental and spiritual stability as we stand on the revealed Word of God, the full Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, but we have been given eternal life, a quality of life that belongs to God. It is God's life. It is everlasting life. God has endured us, the worst of sinners, the foremost of all. He has granted us mercy in order to display His perfect patience. He has granted us that eternal life to put Himself on display and the magnanimous character of His grace. And what is the only possible response to such a contemplation of that mercy and that eternal life? Verse 17, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We're beginning to see that Paul's thinking is punctuated with doxology. That should be characteristic of our very lives. Our theology should produce doxology. Look to Ephesians for just a moment, chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, another illustration of this. He blesses God in verse 3, but we'll start in verse 4. Our God and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, first chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time, that is, summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. This is an astounding list. God chose us. He chose us to make us holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us. He adopted us as His children. He redeemed us. He forgave our sins. He lavished grace on us. He gave us an inheritance. He sealed us with the Spirit, the pledge of that inheritance. An astonishing list of grace gifts. The only proper response is the very response that begins the section, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This time Paul begins with the doxology and then gives the reason for it. All we could ever imagine and even beyond what we could imagine is ours in Christ. Forgiveness, saving truth, eternal life, all spiritual blessings. There should be just constant doxological praise rising out of our hearts. Philippians chapter 4 in verse 18, Paul says, I have received everything in full and have an abundance, not lacking anything. I am amply supplied, having received from Paphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And then this, verse 19, my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply all your needs. All your needs. Not just forgiveness, not just atonement, not just saving truth, not just eternal life, not just all spiritual blessings, but all your needs. All your needs. Not only in the spiritual realm, but in the earthly realm. And in this case, he's talking about that to make up for any sacrifice that had been made by the apostle or by anybody else. There will never be a need unmet in the life of a believer. What a promise. How do we respond to that? Verse 20, Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, spontaneous thanksgiving erupts from the mind and heart of one who contemplates the greatness and the vastness of God's goodness in our salvation. 2 Timothy chapter 4 gives us a glimpse at another such paean of praise. This is the end of Paul's journey, the end of his life. This is his last letter. It's sad. He says in verse 16, At my first defense no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. The promise of the Lord holding on to His own and bringing every believer into heavenly glory. And what is the only possible response? End of verse 18. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now you can see that doxology lived right on the edge of the lips of Paul. It wasn't just Paul. Turn to Jude in this little epistle, there is a beautiful doxology down in verse 24 that really parallels what we just read from Paul. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Is that not an amazing promise? You will not stumble. 
you will stand in the presence of His glory, and you will stand there blameless with great joy. You will stand there blameless. What should be the response? Verse 25, To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. As believers, this is how we are to live our lives. With praise on our lips at all times. And a final doxology in the 11th chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 11. Paul has come to the end of this chapter and really to the end of the entire section from chapter 1 through 11 in which he talks about the greatness of salvation. And verse 32 sort of wraps it up. He has shut up all in disobedience. That is, he has denounced all as sinners so that he may show mercy to all. The news was bad, and then, of course, the news was good, the gospel. God indicts the world. God indicts the sinner so that the sinner, in seeing his condition, can flee to him for mercy. What kind of an amazing God is this? who puts us in the inescapable condition of disobedience before Him, who declares that we are unworthy, we are disobedient, we are wretched, corrupt, sinful, hopeless, helpless. We have nothing to commend ourselves. And then He shows mercy to us. What is the only possible response? Verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became His counselor? For who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Sound theology always ends up in doxology. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, judgments that render grace and mercy to us. Psalm 92.5 says, Your thoughts are very deep. Psalm 139 says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain to it. We cannot even grasp the fringe of God's vast knowledge and the wonder of His mercy and grace. He pours it out on us. And in response, we give Him glory forever. Amen. That's a thankful life. It's fine to be thankful for the things that we have in this life, but you will not find such an outburst in contemplation of those things in the New Testament epistles. These kinds of outbursts are connected to the contemplation of our salvation, as rightly they should be. And it is because of that salvation that we gather around this table tonight. Let's bow together in just a word of prayer and ask the Lord to be with us in a special way. Our Father, we have opened our hearts and declared our gratitude to You 
We have borrowed the words of the Apostle Paul and of Jude. We want to give you glory and honor for providing for us an atonement, forgiveness, rescue, the truth in which we stand, mercy, grace, for meeting all our needs, for granting us eternal life, for keeping us so that we would never stumble but would appear in the presence of our Lord blameless and with great joy. Because of that, Lord, we want to honor You and praise Your name. We've heard Your praise sung. We've joined in the singing. But now may it rise from our hearts as we think about all that You have done for us at the cross, which is pictured in this simple ceremony. Lord, I ask that You would work in every life and every heart. Reveal to us anything that doesn't belong there. Any thought, any attitude, any desire, any longing that doesn't honor You. Help us to understand there may be relationships in our lives that do not bring You honor. We need you to help us make them right. We want, Lord, to come to this table and we want to praise You. We want to glorify You and honor You. We want it to be a, an experience of doxology as we praise You, as we glorify You, Your name forever and ever. And we can't do that, Lord, unless our hearts are pure before You. So wash us and make us clean from anything that displeases You at all. And help us to see in the simple beauty of this service a way in which we can truly offer praise. Even in taking the bread and the cup, we are glorifying the One who gave His life for us. May that be our heart attitude, even as we worship together. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible teacher with grace to you. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit grace to use website at gty.org. And for details about the Masters University where John serves as president, go to masters.edu. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file. John 3.3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus replied, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What does it mean to be born again? You've probably heard this term your whole life. You may have even called yourself a born-again Christian. But have you considered what it means? 
Everyone is born physically alive, but we are spiritually dead. As descendants of Adam, we've inherited his sin nature, separated from God. And the only way we can be right with God is to be born from above. We need the life of God in the soul of an otherwise dead man. When you hear the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the grave, and you repent and put your faith in Jesus, he has raised your spirit from the dead and given you new life, a spirit-filled life that loves God and desires his will, and you are born again. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. In him we are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So no longer live in your old dead ways, but according to the new birth that you have been given when we understand the text. Hey, yo, they said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. We just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the son of man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the son of man? Trust. Jesus is the king, so his people we will sing. And forever say worthy is the land. What's up? Surprise, I'm back in your section With Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection More power than gravity His knowledge and strategies confound the academy Bow to his majesty He paid sin's salary, took up blame on Calvary Those who love his name spread his fame into policy All eyes on the mattress price of his sacrifice That's prize, I'm after Christ and rise in the afterlife What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a rod or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save dudes Who hate truth, the gospel is not fake news I got to sin, the gospel sweeter than it's ever been Ain't nothing changed, let us sin, we got the medicine It's still human emergency, the serpent attack You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts Stand up, hands up If you truly love the son of man, trust Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive And his fame is gonna spread across the land What's up? Stand up, hands up Does anybody love the son of man? is the king, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the land. What's up? Stop and listen to my composition. Lots of rhythm, but not traditional, kind of different. But God's consistent, no contradiction, my proposition. Through crucifixion, he mocked and crippled his opposition. It's not some fiction, I'm spitting, the Son of God is risen. And my incentive for godly living is I'm forgiven. Jesus came to unlock the prison. And through the Spirit, he brings a new birth like an obstetrician. At times I listen, a lot of Christian hip-hop is missing. The proposition is my suspicion, we drop the mission. Not to this, but the Word of God, is it not sufficient? The doctrine is that the gospel fixes. Is our shot condition. God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction. Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens. A squad of Christians go out and witness a God's commission. Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the land. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like elevator music, but we gon' celebrate him, relegate him, we refuse it. They hate Christians.
Christian hip-hop. I peep myself. They say we too redundant. Well, let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real estate. Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchased property. I feel like I'm real estate. If the father wasn't gracious, no synonym. Again. He came straight blameless. No synonym. Again. Nothing's been the same since. No synonym. Again. Fakers lack his fragrance. No synonym. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how are we gonna be silent? Let the world still Jesus. When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is gonna spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing. And forever say, worthy is the land. What's up?
The oceans, the plains, mountains, the rain. The universe proclaims the glory of your name. And what am I that you called me to your side? And took this out of stone and broke it open wide. About describing you, I really don't know where to start. Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning, way before the beginning. And this fallen world's distorted opinions, it was just a holy trinity, ruling from infinity. Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly. Billions, billions of years ago, outside of what we know as time, nobody else was there to know. But Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind. As long ago as that was, as long ago as that was. Have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. 
how you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence You are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance You said Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man According to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan I changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us All that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust Shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the same. All of my idiosyncrasies Still you pursue relentlessly At times I wonder how this can be Surely it's because of the cross When Jesus paid the full penalty And bore the burden of sin's great cost I'm saved by grace and faith in God I look to Christ and I trust He died So even though I'm being sanctified I can't be any more justified His work is finished that cannot change And with this knowledge I am free Forever this grace it will remain Because of what happened on Calvary As long ago as that was As long ago as that was have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the same, immutable, actually 
wrote the lyrics. What did he intend? Happens all the time. I don't know if you remember the song, I Get By With A Little Help From My Friends. Everybody thought that was about drugs, too. John Lennon claimed this was not about drugs, but many people didn't believe him, including, by the way, Vice President Spiro Agnew, who told the crowd the song was a tribute to the power of illegal drugs. Lennon responded and said, it's a catchy tune. But until it was pointed out to me, I never realized that the word friends were assorted drugs. Spiro Agnew said, no, 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 this is, this is the meaning of the song. Uh-uh-uh. What did the author intend? We want to practice authorial intent, not reader response. Try reader response at a stop sign. Well, sir, I thank you for pulling me over, but here's how I understood stop. We can't use it when we're communicating with one another, and we shouldn't be using it when we are trying to interpret the Bible. Otherwise, and maybe you've been in a Bible study like this, you'll find yourself in a Bible study that looks eerily familiar. All right, so what we're going to look at today is Romans 8, 28. I'll go ahead and read it. It says that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What do, you, what do you feel like that means to you, Peter? Well, I feel that, that God is uh, speaking to me about how he takes care of us, you know, and how no matter how uh, things go, he, he's always there to work it out for us. You know? I mean, that's what I feel mm. that this verse is saying. Good. Yeah. Well, what, what do you think, Carla? What do you think that God's showing you in that verse? Well, this kind of reminds me of uh, karma. What goes around comes around. That's exactly how I look at it. But I also think that God is trying to teach you that each and every one of us have a certain call in our life or something like that. Like, good point. I mean, I feel like that God is a God of love. And since we're his children and he's our daddy, he would never let any harm come to us. He's always going to bring only good things into our lives. Mm. That's absolutely crazy, Diane. Jack, we don't do that here. She has her opinion, the way God is showing and moving in her life and speaking to her. Maybe if you give her a chance and listen to her, God might be speak to you through her. Go ahead, Diane. Well, like I was saying, it's always been my experience that, you know, God is a God of love. He's my daddy. And since we're his children and he's our daddy, he would never let any harm come to us. And he's always going to bring only good things into our lives. Exactly. No, that's good. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Everybody can have their own interpretation because so many people practice reader response. We are going to study grammatical, historical hermeneutics, understanding the grammar and the historical setting of the text to understand the text as the original audience would have understood it. We practice authorial intent. What did the author intend for it to say? How would the original audience have understood it? Here's a rule for you. If your interpretation of a Bible verse is understood differently than the original audience would have understood it, you've got it wrong. We need to go no further than how the original audience would have understood the text. It doesn't mean it doesn't have a modern-day application, but if the original audience didn't think that you could do all things like winning a boxing match through Christ who strengthened you, then we shouldn't be doing it either. So again, we are going to be using the inductive method. What does the text say mean? Then draw a conclusion. Not the deductive method, making a conclusion, then finding the evidence to support it. 
We practice exegesis, reading out of the text what it says, not eisegesis, reading into the text what we want it to say. We reject what does the Bible say to me. Here's the answer. It doesn't matter what it says to us. The question is, what did it say to the original audience, and how are we to understand it today? So instead of attending a Bible study where everybody gets to give their interpretation of a text, a Bible study should look a lot more like this. You'll note at the beginning of of verse 3, or do you not know? And when he says, or do you not know, he's saying, hey, if you're breathing, you probably know this. This is common knowledge. This is Christianity 101. This is kindergarten-level stuff. If you're in Christ, you know this. And so when he says, or do you not know, um, he is implying, let me remind you of what you already know, that all of us, the us is the same as the we in verse 2 and and in verse 1, Uh, The us refers to all believers. It refers to only believers. And you'll you'll note when he says all of us, he's talking about every single believer. So there's no exceptions to this. Felt a lot better, didn't it? Once again, that's from Wretched. You can find it at wretched.org. W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D dot O-R-G, Wretched dot org, and also on YouTube as Wretched. And what I do is play a song for you. This is called Bless Your Hero Tributory. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a
taking Bible verses out of context happens constantly. Now, we've been seeing some things that maybe are a bit silly, but in the in the book Grasping God's Word, which I have lifted much material from for this presentation by Duval and Hayes, they tell the story of a pastor who was counseling a woman who was having an affair uh, on her husband. And she set up another appointment, and she came in, and she said, Pastor, I just wanted to let you know I've made a decision. I know what I'm going to do. What is it? She said, I'm, I'm going to go be with my boyfriend. What led you to that decision? Ephesians 4, 24. Put on the new man. Bad hermeneutics hurts people. There is a movement that is sweeping the globe right now. This is the largest, fastest growing sect because it's not biblical Christianity. It is a sect of Christianity called the New Apostolic Reformation Movement. I doubt that they have ever done a study of hermeneutics like you were about to do. And this is why hermeneutics is not for seminarians. Hermeneutics is for each and every believer. And this subject that we're about to embark on is earnest. People get hurt when the Bible is not preached rightly. Good hermeneutics, it keeps us safe. The church flourishes. God is glorified when people don't believe bad teaching that says you don't need to worry about illness. That, of course, is word faith teaching, that you can speak the word, that healing, physical healing, was made available in the atonement. Therefore, Christians should never get sick. We see stories of people actually dying from people believing that they don't need to go to the doctor and get medical treatment. They just need to have more faith. Each and every one of these demonstrations that you have seen of bad teaching, harmful teaching, would come to a screeching halt if biblical hermeneutics were studied and applied. So what are the benefits of doing what we are doing? I'll give you a list. To know God rightly. To know God better. To instruct your children rightly. To recognize and combat false teaching. To show others the glory of God. Biblical hermeneutics is the difference between truth, lies, life, death, heaven, and hell. Biblical hermeneutics is an urgent study that I believe every Christian should embark on. So let me again applaud you for being willing to do that. So let's just jump in now and start talking about hermeneutics. Why didn't God just give us a rule book for life? He gave us all these stories and all these poetry and proverbs. Why didn't he just tell us exactly what we're supposed to do? There's two major problems with that. Number one, there are billions of people and trillions of life scenarios. You've all brought them here today, decisions you're trying to make, things that you're dealing with at home, work, etc. If God wrote out a book so that you could go to it to figure it out your situation, exactly what you're supposed to do, um, it would be a really big book. The world couldn't contain a book like that. So God gave us a brilliant piece of literature that's exciting, it's didactic, it teaches us. There's all kinds of genres because, first of all, if he gave us a rule book, it would be really huge and it would be really, really boring. How would you like to read a 
Bible that says, uh, Ron, when you're dealing with your next-door neighbor, make sure that you give the lawnmower back. That would just be a dreadful type of book to read. So God gave us really interesting literature, but that's created some challenges because we don't have a rule book per se. And that's why we've got different denominations, countless wolves, false teachers, and even cults. So how do we read this amazing book? And the answer is hermeneutics. Here's our definition. It is the art and science of interpreting scripture. Art, because there are nuances. You're going to get better at this, but there are nuances to this. Science, because there are definite rules to the game. As we make our way through this study, when we start to dive into the Bible, to take a look at some Bible verses, how to do it rightly, you're going to notice that I don't always apply every single thing that we've learned throughout the course of this study. Other times, we're going to focus on certain areas of it, and you're maybe going to wonder, well, why don't you do the same thing every time? Well, that's because hermeneutics is a bit of an art. And depending on the genre, depending on what's going on in the text, you're going to need to wisely make your way through it, and you're simply going to get better and better at it as you apply the rules of hermeneutics. Uh, it's from Wretched, and it's from says, why did, didn't God just give us a rule? And there's a clip there, and... See, now I'm going to play a song for you. This is called The Bible Book Bop here on Trippy Toll Radio. James, first and second, Peter and John. One. 
all of it. Read Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. It is unmistakable, it is undeniable, and it is not just the ceremonial laws, because neither Bob, the author of Hebrews, nor Moses in the Pentateuch makes that sort of a trifle distinction. We just says, it's gone. Therefore, all of those laws, how we're supposed to implement discipline, legal systems, we can learn principles from those things, but we do not have to apply those things directly because we're a different time, different culture, different people, different covenant, different language. Those are the five things that separate us from the Old Testament. That's biblical hermeneutics. By the way, Herman who? We talk about that. Twelve lessons, biblical hermeneutics, wretched.org slash Herman. You get It's Not Greek to Me for free if you get Herman Who. We talk about things like this. So with that in mind, we look at God's commands to those Jewish people at that time, in that land, in that covenant, and those commands don't apply to us. And we don't see anywhere in the Bible... God giving the same sort of command that he gives to the Muslim, to slay the infidel wherever you find him. You, you, just don't, you don't see the New Testament, Old Testament, ever talking like that. Just, hey, just run into a pagan, kill him. Nothing like that. But you do see that in the Quran. Okay, not quite that coarsely, but it's pretty rough stuff. There are like over 100 verses that talk about killing the infidel. They don't have a hermeneutic to say, well, that was for then, but not now. They don't have that mechanism inside of their Bible. I recall James White saying, here's the problem with the Quran. It's so incoherent that you can hardly make sense of it to make any sort of an argument for undermining it because the thing just collapses on itself. There is no progressive revelation. There is no biblical hermeneutic. There is no covenantal system, a replacement of rules for these people at this time. They don't have any of that. So to answer your question, sir, yes, I have heard Muslims say that, well, that was just for them. But their Quran simply does not support it. And so I think ultimately they're just left twisting in the wind. What can a man of God do that is Jack living and is struggling right now uh, with smoking cigarettes, drug addiction, and is really tormented demonically. Now, let me get that first part straight. What can a man of God do that has living and is Joey, help me out with that. Ah. What can a man of God do who is backslidden? Got it. Just know this: we spare no expense, and I mean no expense for our phone system. <laughs> Honestly, I think the Scientologists have a, a better system with their with their uh, end All you're going to do what, is what make is sure the wire is tight between the two cans. Yeah, that's it. I'll never forget oh. being in Berlin and running into some Scientologists on the street. They said, would you like to be tested with our little gizmo? That they, It's literally like a soup can, a Campbell's soup can with a label peeled off. And then they hook it up to you. Uh, What's the mechanism? It's, what, a, what, what, it's what a potentiometer, this? I think. Is that what they call the thing? No, and that's it, not it, what they call it. That's what it is. It's just something you can get at the hardware store, but they pay hundreds of dollars for it. And it measures your engrams, which are the True. bad things inside of you that you then need to pay a lot, as much money as you possibly can to progressively get rid of them. E-meter is what they call it. That's it, the E-meter, right? Well, the engram meter. There you have it right yeah, there. Yeah, it's like a voltage meter or something like that. Our, our phone system, not as good as that. And that's a complete sham, sparing no expense. Uh, the Christian struggling with addiction. Well, I'm not a big fan of the word addiction, 
because I think it's more of a secular term, which indicates there's a disease behind our behavior. And as a rule, it, it's a behavioral issue. Uh, consider alcohol for a moment. We say that it's a disease. First of all, I am not aware of a single laboratory anywhere on the planet that is seeking to find the cure to the disease of alcoholism, that they are somehow doing some research to find that center in our brain, that place in our kidney, whatever it is, that causes you and makes you consume way too much alcohol. Nobody's looking for that because it's ridiculous. It doesn't exist. Do I think some people have more of a propensity to it? Yeah, I, I think so. But... People have propensities for lots of sinful things. That doesn't mean it's an addiction. What do you need to do to get drunk? What do you need to do? It's more than consuming alcohol. You've got to go to the liquor store. You've got to have the money to pay for it. You've got to make the transaction. Then you've got to bring it home. You've got to put it into a glass or just at least unscrew the bottle and start guzzling it down. You're not addicted. That, that is an active behavior. Now, it might have a hold on you. I get that. But that doesn't mean it's an addiction. That means it's a sin battle. And that's the terminology that I think we should be using with issues like alcoholism, drug, instead of drug addiction. You've got, you got a sin problem. And when we can figure out what this is, biblical counseling, it'll, it'll unlock a world to you to demonstrate the Bible is so sufficient for everything. I received an email from somebody asking about hair pulling. There are people who they, they, they literally pull their hair out of their head. Uh, sometimes it can be their eyebrows. They, they pull the hair off of their arms. Ooh, can the Bible really help that? Well, of course it can. It's a behavior. You're doing that. Now, could there be a biological, physiological, chemical reason that is perhaps encouraging that? Sure, there could be, but we don't have any tests to indicate that there is. Nevertheless, it's a behavioral issue. What's going on? Why does a person do that? Well, it's something that a lot of people do in various forms. Alcohol is actually one of them. Eating is another. It's self-soothing. They're anxious, and they self-soothe, and pulling their hair, it soothes them. Does the Bible have the cure for anxiety? Yeah, it does. It does. And that can cure, then, the hair-pulling sin, not disease. So, sir, if you're, if you're battling a sin, don't play victim. You're not. You're an active participant in your sin. Go to war. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. And please remember, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, yikes, the person who is having an ongoing struggle isn't saved. I did not say that at all, but it is indeed a struggle. If you're not struggling against your sin, you're of the devil. But if you're in the battle, stay in the battle, knowing that you've got the tools, you've got the weapons, and you've got the God who is more powerful than any sin in your life. This is Wretched Radio. Like it said, that's Wretched Radio. Um, find it at wretched.org, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D dot O-R-G. And also on YouTube as Wretched. And thanks for listening with you here on Truth Be Radio. And now uh, I'm going to play a song for you. This one is Shining with Stand Up. No, wait, no, I think I did that one already. Supreme here, Supreme. <laughs> 
Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. Got the truth, so we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest roofers. Christ put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crafting our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to set cash from the furnace. Through Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He proceeded was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior. The greater I am became a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts, easily Posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority. So we both in the most exalted King Christ supreme. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer. No God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time in the scripture, put your gate into prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night, and it's bright in the might in the dominant mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the loss that he found, though, he was tamed in floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the crown. Yo, Satan had a shirt hold on him. Fight for the rope, but dope and then. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the N, that's what we hoping in. Risen on it's spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hell bound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born, I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout, I was fought with a price. We gotta hope it won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises of God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly proportionate. Everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one, intrinsic, infinite son. Preeminent the name, par excellence, prenom, phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon, you see. The fiber of cosmology, the abba of astronomy. He's part of we, a pottery. It's shocking Jesus died for me. The father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey. From sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrected bodily apocalyptic prophecy he's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't acknowledge him properly you ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent it's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment study the development from old to new testament you'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age it's relevant crisis on its center stage forget religious sentiments the center on man but something less is what you're settling he is the most excellent exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance yeah, the Separated and segregated that severed the relations between man and his maker and placed Christ on his costly cross and compensated his life, death, and resurrection emancipated and gave us freedom from it all, freedom from the effects of the fall, freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and from the law. So the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause with hands raised, praising his name, singing glory to God. <laughs>
again, that's Offside Way, and now this is Guy Move Like Little Fish. Tell it. We 
Yeah. 